Morning, church family. So good to see you all this morning. Um, welcome back to the Rec Center. Amen. Amen. So as Pete mentioned, we are continuing to focus this week on prayer as um, the second part of our week, thinking and talking about prayer in our series called Deep Roots. And throughout this series, we're exploring how we as God's people can develop a deeper spirituality through Scripture, prayer, and Sabbath. And so if you happen to miss last week's um, sermon, I'd really encourage you to listen to the podcast. But essentially, last week's sermon was focused on the biblical foundation, the basis for prayer. And we found that prayer is God's means of grace for us to be able to respond to Him as the Father He's revealed Himself to be through His Son, Jesus, and His Word, as we're enabled and empowered by His Spirit. David Mathis writes that the wonder and the joy of Christian prayer is actually that we have our Father's ear. And the more we dialogue with Him, the more we pour out our heart's longings and desires and wishes toward Him, the more we actually learn to know Him and enjoy Him as our joy, as our treasure. And so that's why getting more of God and not necessarily getting more of the stuff that we want from God, is the ultimate goal of prayer. And this week, as we come to talking about the more practical aspects of our faith, um, how we practice prayer particularly, this can sometimes bring us to a place of guilt. Because the truth is, and possibly uh, you feel this as well, we often don't pray as much or as well as we should. And it's true that apart from God's grace for us in the gospel, prayer either becomes another way that we fall hopelessly short, or it can become another way in which we try to prove and justify ourselves. But the good news, the gospel tells us that God is making all things new in his son Jesus, including us, and in Jesus we are loved and accepted as God, by God as his dearly loved children. And also because Jesus is our mediator before God the Father, we can rest assured that no matter how ragged our prayers are, they're always heard by our Father. Because it's by Jesus' merit and through his mediation that our prayers actually come before the Father. And so today and every day, God invites us to bring our needs and our wants and our desires before him precisely because he is our loving heavenly Father. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're prone to wander. He knows that we need his help. And that's exactly why he wants us to pray. Because when we pray, when we, we truly pray, we see our neediness and we place our trust in him, depending on him for the strength and the sustenance that we need to live moment by moment. And praying in this way, it has the power not just to rid us of despair, but also it rids us of any illusion that we can pray our way into God's good books. And so as we pray, our wishes and our desires become less about us and increasingly about a reliance and enjoyment of God our Father. And so as we talk about prayer, I want us to have this image of prayer in our minds that it's not so much like a jackhammer or, or a chisel, but it's more like a, a river 
that slowly smooths out the rough edges of who we are as God's living stones, shaping us and conforming us into the image of Christ. And so as we talk a bit more about the hows of prayer, the the practical side of it today, um, I want to say that prayer can be a bit like learning how to ride a bike. You know, there's particular mechanics to it. There's a method to how you should do it. But you reach a certain point where you've really just got to give it a go. And as you do, you build up your confidence as well as your enjoyment of it. And so this morning's text, they point us to three considerations that are really practical for our prayer life. The first of which is the content of our prayer. The second of which is the place of our prayer. And the third is the rhythms of prayer. The content, the place, and the rhythms. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you as Father as your dearly loved children, accepted and forgiven and adopted through your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit. So, Father, we ask you this morning, teach us to pray through your Word, through your Son, by your Spirit. Remind us of your grace for us in the Gospel and give us the power to live um, reliant upon you and teach us what it means and what it looks like to enjoy you in prayer. Amen. So first up, the content of our prayer. Well, our reading in Matthew puts us smack bang in the middle of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus draws some everyday examples to illustrate what not to do in prayer. So look with me at verse 7. Here Jesus points to the pagans, the non-Jews, who worship the pantheon of gods. And their, their practice was that they would regularly pray to their gods with lengthy, wordy prayers, hoping that the gods would somehow be impressed by their eloquence, be willing to stop whatever it is that they're busy doing and stoop down to grant whatever it was that they were asking for. And the root of this practice actually stems out of a deep uncertainty around whether or not the God that you're praying to cares enough to listen to what you have to say. And this is especially true given how moody and unpredictable these Greco-Roman gods were thought to be. I wonder if our prayers are ever like this. In verse 8, we're told that Jesus' followers don't need to try to impress the Father with eloquent, lengthy prayers, but instead we can pray simply. We can pray directly, knowing that he already has his attention on us and knowing that he knows what we need, even before we ask. Again, the gift of the gospel reminds us that while we were still sinners, God turned his attention toward us in his Son. He saw our deepest need and met it in Jesus. And so as Jesus launches into the famous Lord's Prayer in verse 9, he's effectively saying, in light of your Father having his attention turned toward you, wanting to be your treasure, your reward, wanting to hear from you, knowing already what you need before you ask it, this is how you should pray. And remember what we said last week, that our prayers should always be grounded in the person and the character and the work of the Father. And so the first half of the Lord's Prayer is rightly centred around God, reminding us of who he is, what he's like. 
And then the requests of the second half are given in light of who our Father is. Some of the most helpful and wisest counsel I ever got on prayer was to pray what you've got and to pray where you're at. Pray what you've got and pray where you're at. And this is the real beauty and the gift of the Psalms. Is they demonstrate so well, and I think David in Psalm 55 demonstrates so well what it looks like to pray what you've got, to pray where you're at. The Psalms are God's gift to us because they seem to run the full gamut of human emotion. So look with me at, um, to Psalm 55. As we look at it, we see on the surface here that David seems pretty scattered. It seems like there's a lot going on in his heart and his mind. One moment he's expressing deep inner anguish and fear, and in the next, he's mourning the prevalence of evil in his city, and then in the next moment, it's, he reveals the true source of his pain coming from the betrayal of a close friend. And then just a few verses later, he's back to praying that God would wipe out his enemies and that they would all die. It's pretty scattered, right? But interspersed throughout this emotional prayer, we actually hear and see David returning to God and reminding himself of who God is. And in this, David provides a really good model for us, a helpful model. Our prayer should be honest, but never irreverent before God. We should, like David, keep before us an awareness of who God is and what he's like, even as we bring to him the messiness of our own hearts and lives. And so in verse 17, David acknowledges that God is the one who is the shelter for the suffering. It's God, in verse 23, who sees and cares about evil and who has the power to ultimately judge. In verse 16, it's God who ultimately saves. In verse 19, it's God who is eternally enthroned. It's God, in verse 22, who faithfully sustains the righteous. And so therefore... In light of who God is, seeing this and reminding himself of this, David chooses to put his trust in this God, in verse 23. Despite all the odds, everything that David is facing, it's because of the character of God that gives David the confidence to trust in him once again. And so in this psalm, David teaches us that prayer is the invitation to lay ourselves bare before God in light of who he is, bringing to him whatever it is that's going on and entrusting ourselves to his tender care. And so family, there's no need for us to pray eloquently, hoping that somehow our words will convince God to listen. You can pray what you've got. You can pray where you're at. Because we as his children, already have the attention of our Father. And he already knows what you need before you even ask. And so you might be sitting there thinking, well, John, if God already knows what I need, why bother asking? Makes sense. Well, I think we ask the, this question because we've misunderstood who the Father is. Prayer, like we said last week, is not just bringing to God a cosmic shopping list of things that you want him to give you and things that you want him to do, but it's an invitation into genuine relationship with God. Yes, God knows exactly what you need, 
Actually, he's already made provision to meet that need for us. But he wants to draw us into this mutual loving relationship, knowing that beyond our immediate physical, mental and emotional needs, he is and he will always be the source of our deepest healing, satisfaction and contentment. Prayer is the invitation to find and enjoy all of that in him as his dearly loved children. So this morning, church family, remember the kind of father our God is. And know that you can pray what you've got and you can pray where you're at. But Jesus in Matthew 6 doesn't just teach us about the content of our prayer. He also talks about the place of our prayer. In Matthew 6, 5, Jesus tells his disciples not to be like the hypocrites, a.k.a. the religious leaders, who would often pray out loud on street corners, making a show of themselves to show everyone who cared to look how pious and holy they were. Most first century homes, particularly for the peasant class, would have just been one large single room which would have been the family's bedroom, living room, dining room, and kitchen, all in one. But often, they would have a little closet off to one corner of the space, and they would use it for storage. And that's where Jesus tells his disciples to go to pray. And the reality of first century life was that, for many of them, that would be the only space where they could find privacy. So why was it so important to Jesus that we pray in private? Well, I think it's because rather than seeking the praise and attention of others, God the Father should be the very reward that we seek. And the Gospel writers tell us that Jesus frequently sought time in solitude with the Father just to pray. In Luke 4, right after his baptism, Jesus is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. Now, the Greek word for wilderness here is eremos, And it also gets translated for us in the Bible as a desert, a wild place, an uninhabited place, or a solitary place. And this is really important because right after Jesus comes back from 40 days in the Eremos, duking it out with the devil, he begins his ministry of proclaiming the good news. But it seems to me like just after the first day of his teaching, healing, and... um, exercising demons, you know, a day of doing all of that. He feels the need to head back into the Eremos in verse 42 to pray. And actually, Luke tells us that Jesus is out there praying for so long that people have to go out looking for him. Again, right after telling us that Jesus has called his disciples and heals a guy with leprosy, in Luke 5.16, we're told again that Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places, to the Eremos places, and prayed. When we read the Bible, we often think of the wilderness places in a negative light. We think of them as a place of testing, as a place of uh, failure for God's people. But the wilderness place, the solitary place, it's also the place where God revealed himself to his people. And for Jesus, it was the place of communion and prayer with the Father in solitude. 
And so I want to ask us, church family, are there spaces in your life that are conducive to prayer? And maybe you don't have a place. And so maybe this is God's invitation to you this morning to discover that place. You know, the frenetic pace of our lives, the constant dinging of our phones, it makes it nearly impossible for us to pray, doesn't it? But that's where finding and fighting for a secret place creates space and silence for us to know and to enjoy God in prayer. Making the space to pray might actually be one of the most countercultural acts of defiance that you could do as a follower of Jesus in this distracted digital age. I don't want to be legalistic about this this morning, church, but... We know that God is gracious and meets us where we're at. And that's precisely why I think there's great benefit to finding a secret place to pray. And for you, it might be um, your favorite comfy chair. It might be a park bench. It might be a picnic rug or something, something completely different. Wherever it is, let it be a place of intimacy rather than distraction. Imagine with me um, for a moment... Two people who meet in the context of a, of a friendship group. And as they spend time together in this group setting, they begin to feel a pull towards one another, an attraction to one another, and they fall in love. Now, as much as they would enjoy time with their friends, the longing to be alone grows, and the desire for greater intimacy starts to blossom. And I've found prayer in the secret place to be a little bit like that. I love praying with you all. I love praying with our MC family. But it's just a different setting. In the secret place, that's the place where I can be alone with God, unrestricted, unconstrained. It's in that place that he becomes more satisfying and more beautiful to me. The more I long for his presence. And it's where I learn to enjoy his presence in the everyday stuff of life. I think this is the kind of benefit that we can enjoy as we meet with our Father in the secret place. So we had a look at the content of our prayer, praying what you've got, where you're at. Jesus also teaches us about a secret place of prayer. But it's also important for us, and as we see it from the text this morning, that God's children enter into a rhythm of prayer. Notice Jesus' introductory statement in Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, his assumption is that as his followers, we will pray. In verse 17 of our psalm, David tells us that he prays in the evening, in the morning, and at noon. And we see this sort of a pattern all throughout the Psalms, like Psalm 5 and Psalm 92, for example. And actually, this pattern of regular daily prayer, it runs through all of Scripture. God's people are marked by a rhythm of regular prayer. Take the famous uh, story of Daniel 6, Daniel in the lion's den. Why is Daniel thrown into the lion's den? Well, it's precisely because he was unwilling to give up his practice of regular fixed prayer prayer throughout the day, morning, noon, and night. And if you have time to look and scan through Mark or Luke's gospel, you'll see this pattern with Jesus himself. 
You'll notice that he has a pattern of praying in the morning, of praying throughout the day and praying in the night. Acts uh, 2.42 tells us that the followers of Jesus devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it continues through Acts. It's at afternoon prayer that John and Peter um, come across the lame beggar outside the temple gate and heal him. It's at afternoon prayer that Peter is praying on a rooftop when he receives the vision to go and visit Cornelius at his house. And actually, we're told that Cornelius himself, not a Jew, also practiced this regular pattern of prayer. And so in a world that simultaneously numbs itself with distraction and yet idolizes production, the commitment to daily rhythmic prayer is one of the most counterintuitive and countercultural things that we as Jesus followers can do. Rather than being conformed to the pattern of the world, Prayer conforms us to the pattern of Christ. In regular prayerful relationship with our Father, we actually find the antidote to the poison of hurry and busyness and striving. And so with all of that said, I want to end our sermon this morning with some practical suggestions of things that I've found personally helpful. And maybe these might serve as ideas or prompts um, to help you find new rhythms of prayer. I think the framework of morning, noon, and evening is a helpful point of reference. And the joy of learning to pray is finding what's going to work in your situation and with your schedule. Finding what's going to stir your affections for the Father and for His Son, Jesus. And as I look across um, the room, I recognize that a lot of us are in very different points in our journey with Jesus. And like any new relationship, learning to pray can feel a little bit awkward. But the more you get to know our Heavenly Father, the more confident and comfortable you become in just being with Him and in being His child. And as this grows, the more the inclination of your heart becomes to pray. Um, Scientific research tells us that the first few minutes of your morning are the most powerful moments in your day to form neural, um, new neural pathways, to form new habits, essentially, new ways of thinking. And so you might like to give some time to thinking about how you might reorder the first five minutes of your day to foster a new habit of prayerfulness. Don't try and reorder your whole day. Just start with the first five minutes of your day. It might look like taking 20 seconds uh, just after you've woken up to pray. Making that the first thing you do each day, inclining your heart and mind towards the Father before you go about the business and the busyness of your day. Personally for me, as some of you will know, um, I find the mornings the most fruitful time to spend with um, the Bible, to meditate and to pray. It's probably because my kids... Get up at 6.30. So I like to wash my face, wake up, brush my teeth, make a coffee, sit down in my chair by the window, open up my Bible and pray while everyone's still asleep. But maybe that'll look different for you. And the joy and the journey is finding what that is, giving it a go. And if that doesn't work, you can always try something else. 
I'm not sure about how um, you've all felt in your walk with God, but I've always wanted to have this sense of God's presence throughout the day as well. Um, Verses like pray continually in 1 Thessalonians 5, it kind of inspires us with this picture of a person whose life is saturated in prayer. But this sounds really hard. I mean, what does this even look like? There's just so much going on. Um, And so a really useful tool I've learned is to piggyback new habits to existing habits, like habit stacking, essentially. Um, Think about different things that you do throughout your day, different rhythms, different routines that are already there. And think about how they might be a trigger to help you pray. Uh, Let me give you an example. Every morning between 2 and 3 p.m., somewhere in there, I have an afternoon coffee. So firstly, I thank God for the sweet, sweet cup of coffee. But then wherever I am, the coffee is a prompt for me to pray the Lord's Prayer, slowly to myself for 20 or 30 seconds. And it's amazing how this has changed the way I see the world around me. It's amazing how your perspective on your workplace changes when you pray, let your kingdom come in the context of the staff room. Or how differently you see the homeless guy on the corner selling the big issue when you pray, give us today our daily bread. And it's powerfully transformative when you're sitting across the room from a person you're really struggling with and you pray, forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who sin against us. Maybe that's something that you might like to take up. In my time praying, I've also learnt a little haptic practice from Pastor Mark Sayers at Red Church, which helps me throughout the day. Uh, When I'm out and about and not really able to stop to pray, but I really feel uh, the need for God's help or a longing for his presence, I'll just tap myself three times on the chest. And to me, it's like a little micro prayer, a moment of prayer. To me, it means that I'm submitting myself to God and asking for his help and his presence. But for you, it could mean anything. You might use it to express your gratitude to him. And when it comes to the nighttime, um, I've recently started doing the prayer of examine to end my days, and some of you may have heard of this before. It's a reflective prayer from the Ignatian tradition with four different stages of prayer, and it usually takes me about 10 or so minutes um, to go through. And there are a few different ways that people have framed the examine, um, but I really like the alliteration of recall, rejoice, repent, and renew. Recall, rejoice, repent and renew. And in the first stage, you recall the key events from the day and the emotions that come with it, and you ask God to reveal his presence and activity in the day gone by. In the second stage, you rejoice. You express gratitude towards God for his presence and for his blessing throughout the day. In the third stage, you repent of anything that you see throughout your day in you, your words, desires, actions, things that you know that haven't been pleasing to God. And in doing so, you receive the forgiveness of God in Christ. And in the final stage, you consider the day to come. Ask for the Spirit's power to renew you, to give you wisdom and strength and grace to walk with God 
in the day to come. And maybe you might also like to consider the rich resources that we have in our Anglican tradition as well. You might like to spend some time praying the daily offices, for example. And you can find them in the Book of Common Prayer or on the Australian, the Australian Daily Prayer app. But whatever you decide to do, whatever you sense the Spirit is leading you towards doing, I hope that these ideas and these experiences that I've had encourage you to give different ways of praying a go. And if you'd like to talk about it, I would love to. And I would love to learn what works for you in prayer as well. But as we go, remember, our Father already knows where you're at. He knows what you need. And he wants you to pray what you've got, where you're at. So if you are new to prayer, or if you don't pray regularly at the moment, maybe just start by adding a moment of prayer to your day. Maybe just start with a minute or two as you begin each morning. And if you're already praying in the mornings, great. Why not consider adding a time of prayer in the evening to bookend your day? And if you're already in that place in your prayer life, morning and evening, you might consider different ways you can incorporate prayer into your routines throughout the day. And as you pray where you've got where you're at, my prayer is that you would see and enjoy God our Father in ever-increasing ways, day by day. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you want us to pray. Thank you that even though you already know what we need in any given moment, you want us to bring those before you. You want us to bring ourselves before you to entrust ourselves to your fatherly care and to learn through practices like prayer to enjoy you and to love you as wonderful and as beautiful as you truly are. So shape us, teach us, give us the courage to try new things. And I pray that as we do, that we would find that you meet us there in that place as we bring to you what we've got, where we're at. Help us to do that, Lord, to be vulnerable before you. Help us to find a place and a space, physically, practically, that's conducive to prayer. Help us to build rhythms of prayer into our daily lives that help us to find you and to enjoy you in the everyday stuff of life. It's for your glory's sake and in the name of your Son, I pray. Amen. So church family, um, you can text through any questions that you might have through to my number for the Q&A, but I'd really just want to give us a bit of space, a bit of time for you to discern what it is that God might be speaking to you and how you might want to respond to God in obedience to his calling and his voice. So we'll give us a few minutes. Thank you to those who sent through questions. Yeah, really, really pray that you would all, and we would all actually, as a church family, come to enjoy God and his presence and his goodness towards us in prayer more deeply this year. Um, So I had two questions kind of related. 
to one another. But um, the first of which is, can you give any advice on the wandering mind during prayer? How can I keep focus? Um, and in a very practical, real way, maybe I can just share from my experience, um, I feel as though I have a bit of ADHD when it comes to prayer. Um, I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but my mind is scattered and wandering and there are a million things that go on. When I sit down to pray and I close my eyes, just things will pop up. Um, and I'm sure this is the case for many people as well. And what I've found is that it's actually a skill. It's an ability that you can develop and work on. Um, the ability of naming whatever it is that's going on in your mind, surrendering that to God, and then leaving that there in that little corner for, for this fixed amount of time. Um, I found that this is where mindfulness has really helped me. I know I kind of painted it in a bit of a negative light last week, but um, I found mindfulness really helpful there just to help me to become more aware of what's going on for me, what I'm thinking in my mind, what I'm feeling in my heart, um, bringing that before God and just leaving that there and not having that um, be anything. I think the other thing that... Um, we've got to come to terms with is the, the image or the expectation that we have in prayer. Often we, will, we have the expectation that I will be totally fixated on God for this, the entirety of this hour or something like that. Um, I think if we are, become a bit more realistic with our expectations, like I said in the sermon, uh, bring to God what you've got, where you're at. I think that's incredibly freeing. God desires greater intimacy with us, yes. But he also knows the state of where you're at and the state of where I'm at. And that's okay. He loves you. He accepts you where you're at. Um, so come to peace with that. Of course, grow in your intimacy with God. But it's a journey. It will take time. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me that's where mindfulness has really helped. And other practical tips. Um, and I had a, a question that's related to this. Do you think that we can use technology in a healthy way to help us to pray? Um, yes and no. So there's a great app um, that I use called the Pause app. Um, and I can put it in the next um, newsletter that comes out, which I use um, to help to direct my prayer. Um, and so it's a really helpful app. There, there are plenty of other apps out there, like I mentioned in the sermon as well, the, daily, the Australian Daily Prayer app. That might be something that you use. On the flip side, though, um, I find my phone incredibly distracting. Um, and so I will usually leave it outside of the room when I'm praying. I've started actually just leaving it um, outside when I'm sleeping as well, just not bringing it into the bedroom because it just doesn't help anything. Um, and so, yeah, I guess you kind of know your own tendencies, your own heart, and what's going to be helpful and what's not going to be helpful. If you're someone who automatically reaches the, for the phone unconsciously, if it's sitting on the table right next to you, then maybe you want to put it somewhere else. Again, there's grace there for us. God knows where we're at. He knows what we need. Um, and so you don't have to feel shame about that. But it's, I guess it's, it can be confronting when we see the reality of where we're at. Um, and this is where I want to remind us to receive the grace of God in that and to enjoy the intimacy that he invites us into. Um, some other really practical tips on how to manage technology and prayer. Um, I, Because I'm an iPhone user, 
Um, I use the downtime settings, the screen time settings, so that my phone doesn't turn itself on until after I finish my time of prayer in the morning, um, barring a 3 a.m. visit from Joel, you know. Um, other things that you can do is um, silence the notifications. You can set some boundaries around that. Um, you can also, and this might blow your minds, but you could delete the email app on your phone so you won't be tempted to check your emails in the morning before you pray. Um, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm not at that level, but you might be further along than I am. Um, and so I think it's, you know, managing distraction is a very real and a practical thing that we as God's people um, can do, and it's the world that we live in, right? There's, everything is fighting for our attention. Um, so how do I resist that, and how do I move toward God in a particular space and time? So I hope those... Um, suggestions are helpful. Like I said in the sermon, if anyone has any tips on what you're doing, what you find helpful, what you find nourishing, I'd love to talk about it and I'd love to learn from you as well. I'll hand it back over to Pete.